Hey everybody, welcome to Ask Me Anything. I'm your host, Matt Love, and today Pastor JD is going to answer a question that I'm sure many of you have asked before or thought about, um, and the question is, is it okay to get divorced? Um, You've probably heard some answers to this question before, or you just have some thoughts running around in your head about what this looks like as a believer, but JD is going to go a bit deeper into the theology behind his answer. Well, Matt, that is an important question and one I think a lot of people are scared to ask because they think that really, you know, they they, they see the Bible as as something, you know, of just like this book of rules and laws and they're almost given by an impersonal force. Um, You know, the the, the answer to that question comes right from the lips of Jesus, the most compassionate person ever to live. He got asked this in Matthew 19 by a group of Pharisees. And the short answer is, he said, no, it's not okay to get divorced. He said, if you get divorced for any other reason and hear me out, okay. If you get divorced for any other reason except sexual immorality, and we'll talk in a minute why he, he made that exception and what that means, he says if you get divorced for any other reason, then you're committing adultery with the person that you get remarried to after you get divorced. And that's because marriage, um, as he understood it and as he taught it, is a covenant that is dissolvable only by death, a covenant created by God, which is why married couples or couples that are getting married say, till death do us part. Um, God created it in Genesis 2 as to be a lifelong union where two literally become one, and death is the only thing that can dissolve that covenant with a couple of death-related exceptions, which, again, we'll talk about here in a second. But in order to really understand why Jesus said it the way he said it and what he was saying, you got to understand the context behind his answer. Um, Matthew tells us that, that the religious leaders had asked this question not because they were sincerely trying to work through some marital difficulties, but, but, but because they were trying to trap him. You see, Moses had said in Deuteronomy 24, he said, and, and I'll quote, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if that man finds some indecency in her, in Hebrew, it's a really obscure phrase, or what debar, means something indecent. If you find something indecent, then, then he could divorce her. And of course, in those cultures, a lot of times they're just directing these things toward the man because it was a very um, man-centric culture. And so, um, but he's saying that Moses allowed a provision for, for getting divorced. And so the Pharisees are like, hey, I mean, this was part of their trap. You're contradicting Moses. And Jesus is response by saying, well, there's a difference, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, he says there's a difference between a command in the law and a concession in the law. A command is something that God wants all people everywhere to do. It's part of God's design. But a concession is something that God allows because of man's fallen condition in order to keep peace in a society that's filled with people at various levels of spiritual maturity. And the allowance for divorce that Moses gave in the law, Jesus explained, it it wasn't a command. It was a concession due to our fallen state. Which, which kind of brings us to the second part of their trap. And this was the real, um, the real part of their trap is they wanted to press Jesus on what qualifies as or what debar, what qualifies as something indecent. That was a controversial question in those days, and and there were two two primary schools of thought. The first was the school of of Rabbi Shammai. He said that indecent only meant sexual indecency meaning that Moses meant that only if a man discovered that his wife had been sexually unfaithful, only then could he divorce her. That was um, the conservative position. You can only divorce if your spouse is unfaithful to you. Well, the other school of thought was Rabbi Hillel. Rabbi Hillel was, he was a lot more progressive. He you know probably studied at Berkeley and wore Birkenstocks and refused to use plastic straws, that kind of guy. Rabbi Hillel said indecent meant anything you didn't like about your wife. Maybe she has indecent behavior or indecent cooking skills or 
indecent morning breath. I, I'm actually not even trying to be facetious on this. We have a record of Rabbi Hillel saying if she consistently burns the bread, well, Erwat Debar, right? You can divorce her. If you fall out of love with her, that's Erwat Debar. That's something indecent. If anything about her feels indecent to you, then you can divorce her. Um, here's the thing. The majority of the Jewish world in Jesus's day was on the side of Rabbi Hillel the progressive rabbis. So the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus on record, taking the hardline conservative position so that he would would become unpopular with the people. Um, plus, and, and this was the genius of their trap, John the Baptist had just been executed for speaking out against casual divorce and remarriage. He'd criticized King Herod for leaving his wife and taking another, and Herod beheaded John for that. So the Pharisees are probably thinking, look, if we could get Jesus to publicly take the same position as John the Baptist, well, maybe we can get him killed by Herod too. Um, those are the two schools of thought. So when Jesus answers in Matthew 19, 9, he says, look, if you divorce your wife for any reason except for sexual immorality and you marry another, then you are committing adultery with the, the new person you marry. Jesus is coming down pretty decidedly on the side of the conservative position. In fact, he strengthens it. Not only is it wrong to divorce somebody, because you want to be out of the marriage. If you get remarried, God actually considers your new marriage to be adulterous, at least in the beginning stages, since in his eyes, you're still married to that first person. Jesus bases all this, he says, on God's design in Genesis 2. Marriage, he says, was designed by God to be a relationship in which two lives fuse into one. Um, your names become one, your finances, your your bodies become one flesh and sex, your futures and your families become one. Marriage demonstrates the unconditional love of God. I'm binding myself to you no matter how much you disappoint me or let me down. In fact, Paul would later explain that marriage was was a unity that was supposed to demonstrate the Trinity itself, two distinct persons that, that, that now have one essence. So if that's the case, you're like, well, okay, if it, is it ever okay to divorce? Well, Jesus in Matthew 19 says you can do it in the case of adultery. Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is going to expand that to say um, desertion by an unbeliever. He says if, if, if an unbeliever departs, you are no longer bound. And the, the word he used for bound means you're no longer um, bound in that marriage covenant. Um, so the question you have to ask is why would those be exceptions? If, if marriage is a covenant where two become one, why would Jesus himself have said, but here's an exception, and Paul say, here's another one? Well, the logic of this is very important. It's because both adultery and desertion, adultery and abandonment, both of them kill the covenant. That's why I, I called them death-related exceptions. They are killing the covenant itself. When your spouse unites themselves to someone else sexually, they have destroyed the one flesh covenant with you. Thus, you're no longer bound, Jesus says, and you're free to remarry. You don't have to do that, but, but it's an option. And if your spouse leaves you, abandons you, and divorces you, well, they've also killed the covenant, and thus you're free to remarry. In both cases, Paul says God has called you to peace. He's called you to peace, and um, that may not have been his ideal when you got married, but because your spouse killed the covenant, then, then you're no longer bound and you're free. Now, maybe you're hearing this and you're saying, well, okay, there was actually no adultery and, and technically there was no abandonment by an unbeliever, but, but my spouse was abusive or, or maybe they're, they, they, they got involved in some illegal activity that they just refuse to stop and, and they're putting our family at risk. What does this say to me? Does it mean that, that divorce is not an option for me? Well, first, if that's you, let me say this. Let me say it really clearly. You need to get yourself to a place of safety immediately. Um, you need to talk to your church, 
you need to let them help, or if, if you're not feeling safe right now, you can reach out to the Domestic Violence Support Hotline. In fact, write this number down, 800-799-SAFE, S-A-F-E. You can call them today and get yourself to safety. As to whether or not divorce is an option, I would argue, and, and a lot of other biblical scholars do also, I would argue that the logic of Paul and Jesus's exceptions would also allow for a divorce when a spouse is doing something that makes them unable to be lived with, that puts you and the kids in danger. In the same way that adultery or abandonment has killed the covenant, creating an abusive um, environment in your household, that also kills the covenant. And I would say by the logic of 1 Corinthians 7, you are no longer bound. Um, by the way, when I say an abusive context, that doesn't mean and I don't mean to make light of this, but it doesn't mean that they've gotten annoying or they've changed or they're just not doing it for you or we argue a lot, but but they have killed the covenant by becoming unsafe to, to live with. I would encourage you um, strongly to do this under close advisement of a, of a Christian counselor and with the support of, of pastors in your church. A period of separation will likely be in order, maybe even a long one, to give your spouse space to repent and to, to change their ways. Um, and let me just encourage you, bring your bring those pastors and counselors in early, uh, because a lot of times, you know, you're um, you, you spend a year or more thinking about this and and then you kind of tell your pastor after you've already made the decision, let let your pastor come in early and, and walk with you through this process, because I, I don't know your pastor necessarily, but chances are he really cares for you and wants to be a help to you in this. Um, the, the big thing that, that that I think we have to take away from this is that from the very beginning, God established marriage as a covenant, a permanent fusing of two lives into one. It's not supposed to be like a consumer relationship where you're with somebody because they're making you happy or they're, they're meeting your needs at the moment. Two become one. And thus, divorce is as radical as amputating an arm or a leg. You know, any surgeon will tell you there are times when amputation is necessary, but any surgeon would be run out of the practice if he or she was constantly and, and quickly saying, well, let's just amputate it. Oh, you got a hangnail? Amputate. Sprained angle? Ugly freckles? Varicose veins? Let's just cut it off of the knees. You know, tattoo removal? Yeah, we could do that, but but have you considered amputation? Yeah, surgeons will tell you amputation is sometimes required, but it is radical and devastating in most cases. And it's the last thing that you would want to do, and you would only do it after you've tried literally everything else. So, so yes, there are exceptions that are provided in the scripture because God, Paul says, has called us to peace. But if we understand marriage the way that God created it, we'll see how, how radical and how unusual and how last resort divorce really is. Um, there's some great books out there that have helped me. Um, John MacArthur's got some helpful stuff on this that I've used a lot of his research. Um, a guy named Jay Adams wrote um, a book called Divorce, Remarriage in the Bible that was was really helpful. Um, you'll want to get this and study it out on your own. There's a lot of, of great biblical scholars who've written, and some of them don't come down exactly where I do, but but I do think there are a lot of evangelical scholars that um, that are that that say things consistent with what I'm saying here, and so I think I'm giving a, a position here that is is pretty well accepted among Bible believing Orthodox Christians. So anyway, I hope that helps. You know, Matt, I actually just preached on this at the Summit Church in a message on First Corinthians seven in a series called Cut Through the Noise. Um, I get into a lot of this material and, and, and even get into some other questions that are related to this one. So if it will be helpful to you, it was in November of 2021. You can find it at summitchurch.com and, and, and really kind of press in to, to what Paul is teaching in 1 Corinthians 7 and, and why he's saying what he's saying. 
Thank you, JD. That was that was great. Guys, I know that answer is probably really helpful for a lot of you, but some of you probably still have some questions. And, and, and one of those might be, how does God see me if I am divorced? And, and you can join us next week when Pastor JD is going to answer that very question. For more resources from Pastor JD, please be sure to check out jdgreer.com. And while you're there, sign up for our email newsletters. It is the absolute best way to stay up to date with Pastor JD's latest blog posts, podcasts, all kinds of other stuff. And we'll also make sure that you never miss a new resource or series. Follow Pastor JD on social media to keep up with all his serious and not so serious updates. You can find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we'll see you next time on Ask Me Anything.